Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Well, hello and welcome to Bridgewater Church Online. It is so good to be together with each of you. My name is Liz and I am the online pastor here at BWC, which means I get to connect with you all all week long. And this week I have the special joy of not only sharing with you all online, but of getting to visit with our church family and staff team right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Now, we have been in a series on the book of Esther, and I hope you've been able to join us for this incredible, wild, ironic story that is found in the Old Testament. And I didn't intentionally plan to line up my visit with this eighth chapter of Esther in our series, World Changer, but whoa, am I glad that it landed this way. With last week's passage from chapter 7, it definitely felt like we may be at the climax point of our story. But this week's is all about the real win and the reversal that God brings to what seems like an irreversible, unchangeable situation. And we love stories like this. I want you to think about that with me, about the movies and the books and the storylines that we find ourselves drawn to. And I can think of a lot of stories of people overcoming the odds, of situations that begin very bleakly and end up miraculously, of stories that are rags to riches kinds of stories. I think of movies like The Pursuit of Happiness and Slumdog Millionaire, Cinderella, and even Annie. And I'm sure you could think of so many more. In fact, if you have one that you're thinking of right now, will you just like stick it in the comments, share the ones that you love that are these rags to riches kinds of stories. And I feel like there has to be a reason that we are so drawn to a plot like that. Maybe it's because the condition of the world around us is is so messy that it seems like We must be meant for more, that there must be something different than what we see around us. Now, I don't know if Esther viewed the world that way before she was taken into the king's palace, but we do know that her world was, in fact, messy and broken. Think about all of the things that we've seen in the book of Esther so far. A queen who was kicked out of the palace for refusing to be shown off, Mordecai and Esther who decided to hide their Jewish heritage. There were assassination plots. There was Haman's decree to kill all of the Jewish people in response to just one person refusing to bow to him. Remember that in chapter 3? Verse 6 literally says that Haman thought it was beneath him to kill only Mordecai. So he decides to kill all of the rest of his people instead. This story that we find in the book of Esther is far from a G-rated story. And in the midst of all of it, God seems to be pretty quiet. In fact, have you noticed that the name of God isn't even really used in the book of Esther? I love what the Bible Project has to say about it in their summary of Esther, where they write, God's seeming absence does not mean that he has abandoned his people. 
he uses the faithfulness of even morally compromised people living in a messy world to accomplish his purpose and fulfill his promises. This book asks us to trust God, even when we can't see him working, and to hold on to the confident hope that no matter how bad things get, God is actively working to redeem his world. We live in a world that sounds a lot like that, don't we? One that's even morally compromised and one that's messy. But God is actively working to redeem his world, both throughout the book of Esther and in our world today, if we are willing to wait for the win. In our story of chapter 8 today, we're going to look at three specific ways that God does this redeeming work and what that means for you and for me. So let's, let's recap where we are in this story. We've worked our way all the way up to chapter 8. Last week in chapter 7, Esther comes to the point where she courageously goes to the king and asks him to save the lives of her and her people. And she reveals that, that Haman was the one who set this awful plan into action to begin with. And in a very theatrical twist of irony, the enraged king has Haman hung on the very pole that Haman himself had constructed to hang Mordecai on. And this feels like it could be the big win. Esther is brave, the king doesn't freak out on her and have her killed, and the bad guy is vanquished. But the saga continues. Let's look at the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. It'll be here on your screen. On that day, King Xerxes gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. Then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. So Esther sat Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, and she fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert the evil design of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out the golden scepter to Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, if it pleases the king, and if I have won his favor, and if the things seem right before the king, and I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? The first act of redemption that we see here is that God redeems our purpose. Esther and Mordecai have been living in a very precarious position. They're not even able to be open about the fact that they are Jews. Esther has been kind of going through these motions of what is expected from her. Mordecai has narrowly escaped this wrath of Haman and is still living with the uncertainty of Haman's decree to kill all of the Jewish people. But we see here that all in one day, the king places Esther over her enemy, the king gives royal authority to Mordecai, the king invites Esther to stand before him, and after living in all of these places of fear and of hiding, their purpose is being redeemed. We all experience times of uncertainty and fear that can push us to hide our true identities and, and that can keep us from the purpose that God has for us. Sometimes we find ourselves in those places entirely of our own volition. I think of, of Jonah running from God's call to go to Nineveh and then literally finding himself in the belly of a whale. Maybe you know that feeling. 
There's something that God has called you to step into. Maybe there's something that God has called you to step out of. And you realize that you're pretty comfortable where you are. And there are just too many unknowns. And other times, it might feel more like we've just been dumped into the unknowns of our situation. One of my very best friends growing up um, spent a lot of time as a missionary in Thailand. She was working with YWAM, which is an organization that helps raise up young leaders and young people to be, to be missionaries in the places that they are and abroad. And she was taking a period of, of sabbatical, and it was supposed to be a short visit home to the States in 2020. Yep, a short period of time in 2020. And that, that short period became much, much longer and a very unknown time for her with the onset of, of COVID. And I can only assume, I'd have to ask her, but I'm assuming based on how I know her and how I would feel that this must have felt like a space of lots of unknowns. And it probably felt like we see in Esther, like God was pretty quiet. Here she was with an active and fruitful ministry in Thailand while she was stuck figuring out what she was going to do and where she was going to live out her COVID days. And of course, God was way ahead of her. Instead of, of just kind of settling in and sitting and bemoaning her plight, my friend looked for some connections with YWAM here in the States where she could support and where she could serve while she was in America. And she landed at this base in California, and it ultimately led to her reconnecting with the man that she would marry within the year. And now the two of them are, are living this incredible life of ministry together. And God not only redeemed her purpose and brought her to a place of purpose in that unknown time, but also set her on this path of incredible adventure and favor to come. Whether we have made choices that have landed us in our situation or, like Esther, have found ourselves in a place that we never expected to be, God's plan for our lives is never erased. God is never silent. He is moving. And even when we struggle to see him, he will redeem our purpose. I love how clearly God's redemption is exemplified in this next part of chapter 7. So let's look at the king's response to Esther's plea together. We're going to start in verse 7, and it says, Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, See, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hung him on the pole because he plotted to kill the Jews. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's secretaries were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Kush, 127 provinces, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script, in their language. And he wrote letters in the name of King Xerxes, sealed them with the king's ring, and sent them by mounted couriers riding on fast steeds bred from the royal herd. 
And by these letters, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, their children, and their women, and to plunder their goods on a single day throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of the writ was to be issued as a decree in every province and published to all peoples. And the Jews were ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their royal steeds, hurried out, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in the citadel of Susa. Friends, when we wait for the win, God not only redeems our purpose, but he also turns the situation around and redeems our plight. Did it seem odd to anyone else that after the king had Haman killed over his decree to the Jews, that the decree wasn't just like over, null, and void? Yeah, it felt weird to me. So as I studied it, here's what I found out. In Medo-Persian law, a decree of the Persian king was entirely irrevocable. That may seem crazy to us. But the Persian people viewed the king as a divine being. And revoking something that was the will of the king, the will of the divine, would go against his divinity to begin with. And so it just, it just couldn't happen. It couldn't be done. So even though King Xerxes is angry and has realized that Haman was not to be trusted, he can't just get rid of the original decree. This idea actually isn't all that unfamiliar to us. My memories of AP government are bl pretty blurry. But I do remember that while you can't just repeal and get rid of something in the Constitution, you can make a move to amend it, to add something that addresses or that fixes the issue that you've come across. And so that's kind of what we see here in Esther. The king's secretaries are called in, and Mordecai writes a command in the name of the king that allows the Jews to assemble and to defend themselves. So wait, we saw some of these words, destroy, kill, annihilate, attack, plunder. So does that, does that mean that now the Jewish people can just reverse it and they are the ones who are going to go on some kind of murderous rampage? No, it still tells us that they're restricted to attacking a certain group of individuals. And did you catch which group that was? Only the group that would attack or assault them. So what's happening is they're exercising self-defense against these people who are planning to attack them. And, and that's, that's the truth. Haman's decree still existed and had roused all of the Jews' enemies to be ready for this day that was coming. But now, the Jews were authorized to defend themselves against such an attack. They were now the recipients of this royal decree. And they were to be ready. God was going to redeem and was actively redeeming their plight. This is by no means an isolated incident in Scripture. God is in the business of redemption. He redeems the plight of humanity when we see him save Noah and his family after sending a flood to wipe out the evil that had taken over. He redeems the plight of the Israelites by rescuing them from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians and then continues to redeem the plights that they land themselves in. He redeems the plight of Jonah that we just talked about, giving him a second chance to follow his instructions, although Jonah doesn't actually quite seem to understand the assignment. And in his 
greatest act of redemption. God makes a plan to send his son, Jesus, to redeem the plight of all of mankind. I love how John 3.16 is worded in the message. It says this, This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. My friends, this, this is a close-up personal redemption. It's not something that God used to do, but what God is doing actively right now, God redeems our plight. No matter how bleak things around us get, Scripture promises us that there's a whole and lasting life for all who believe in Jesus. So what plight are you experiencing right now in your life that you need to be redeemed? Nothing is impossible for God to turn around, even when our circumstances are of our own doing. Whatever it is that you are carrying, shame, anger, grief, maybe feelings of hopelessness, God has redemption and he has healing in mind for you. In fact, scripture tells us that we can trade our mourning for dancing, which leads us to our third and final insight for this morning. Let's check out the rest of chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 15 to 17 here on the screen together. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, wearing royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews, there was light and gladness, joy and honor in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday. Furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. So after all of the twists and turns in our story, we have finally landed in this place of victory and celebration. Verse 16 tells us that there was light and gladness and joy and honor. Our third insight from Esther chapter 8 is that God redeems our joy. Remember the kind of clothing that Mordecai put on when Haman's edict was issued? Let's go all the way back to week 4 to chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says this, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth sackcloth and ashes. And what do we find Mordecai wearing now after this new edict goes out? Royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple. So I learned this word as I was studying this story. Are you familiar with the word peripety? It means a sudden or unexpected reversal of the circumstances or situation. There is so much peripety in this story. 
God has completely redeemed their joy. Not only are the Jews no longer in danger, but they're in an even stronger position that they were before. Because now Esther and Mordecai, who are two of their own, are in these incredible places of authority. And they'll be able to make sure that all of the people, their people, the Jewish people, are treated with equity. A day that was supposed to mean terror and death and loss for the Jews has become a festival and a holiday. Darkness has turned to light. Mourning has turned to dancing. Even confusion that we see earlier in our story, especially there in chapter 4, that kind of confusion has turned to celebration here in chapter 8. And let's not miss the very last part of verse 17. In response to this peripety, in response to this reversal and celebration, it says, furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews. This was part of God's plan for redemption from the beginning, that Israel would be, would be a nation of priests that would lead the people back to God. Remember our first insight today? God redeemed their purpose. All of the unknown, all of the anxiety that Esther and Mordecai must have felt, all of the fear that the Jewish people were experiencing leading up to this day, this decree that Haman had made, the very real danger that they were in, it's been reversed. God has redeemed their plight. And now the victory has led them to even greater and longer lasting celebration. In fact, next week we're going to look at this idea of Purim and this holiday that the Jewish people celebrate even today because God redeemed their joy. And my friends, here is the best part. God is unchanging. And so this celebration, this plan for redemption is still in play even today. God is redeeming your purpose. God is redeeming your plight. God is redeeming your joy. And just like we see in Esther, these acts of redemption, they get all mixed up into the story. Now, sometimes it's really obvious what God is redeeming. Maybe you're stepping into an exciting new season professionally or educationally or in your family. Maybe you're stepping away from something that you knew wasn't God's very best for you. And you know that you're discovering the purpose that God has or maybe rediscovering something that you knew a long time ago. Or maybe you're seeing the reversal, the peripety of some difficult circumstance. Maybe it's financial breakthrough or wholeness in a relationship or healing in your body or in your mind. God loves to redeem the plights in our lives. Or maybe, this is my favorite, maybe you're in a season of celebration. You've seen and you've heard God moving and you're rejoicing over what God has done. And maybe for you today, maybe none of those things rings true. Maybe you're in a space like in Esther where where God's name is seemingly absent from this chapter of your story. You're not alone. God isn't absent. God is always present. He's the always present God, and he's with us. And he's working out something, something miraculous, even in the most difficult moments, even in the ones where it seems like a decree has gone out against you that is irrevocable. The peripety is coming. The miraculous is in the plans. And God is near to you, even when we can't feel it. 
this, this book of the Bible and this series that we're in may be called Esther, but it goes far beyond this one woman. It's a story about a God who has a plan for the rescue of his people, for you and for me. It's about a time such as this, when God invites the faithful and the humble to be a part of this incredible plan for redemption. As we wrap up today and as we wrap up chapter 8 and head into chapter 9, let's reflect on the redemption that God has for each of us and the even greater plan that he has for the whole of creation. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the God of redemption, that you are redeeming our purpose, that you are redeeming our plight, that you have redeemed our joy. And God, this morning, we celebrate with joy the things that you're doing in our lives. God, I ask that as we reflect on chapter 8, as we reflect on all of the things that we've learned through this story of Esther, God, that you would reveal to us what you're doing in our lives right now. That if we're in moments where it's feeling silent, God, that we would, that we would sense your voice, that we would sense your moving. God, that we would know with faith beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are near to us. God, we thank you that you are with us in this place this morning, and we ask that you would go with us as we head from here. God, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Friends, it's so good to be with you here from Ohio this morning, and I look forward to joining you again someday soon. You can connect with us all week long at bwch.org or on Facebook or on Instagram. Reach out. We would love to pray with you. We would love to be a resource for you however we can. Until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey, friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.